before whom I stand. There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I might drink. And as he was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar, and see, I have gathered a couple of sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as thou hast said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spanked by Elijah. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have I done with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said unto her, give me your son. And he took him out of her arms and carried him up to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son and he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said O Lord my God I pray let this child's soul come back to him then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in 
in your mouth is the truth. And one further verse, please, from the New Testament, from the epistle of James and chapter 5. James and chapter 5. And verse 17. James chapter 5 and verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Well, we could almost write uh, a title over this chapter and we could write that these were days of national emergency. I'm sure that none of us in our uh, wildest uh, imagination could have thought on the 1st of January at the beginning of the year that all of our meetings and of those of believers around the world would be suspended as we are now seeing and we are living through. We truly are living in a day of emergency and uh, perhaps we are now reading an, in a new light many of the scriptures that we knew so well but have never really appreciated in their meaning in the way that we do now. For most of our generation we have lived so far in days of peace and plenty and security when days were normal. We have watched on the news of wars and trouble around the world, but we have largely been untouched by it. Who would have thought that a bag of flour, as was in short supply in Elijah's day, would one day be difficult to find in the UK, especially self-raising flour? We're not quite the same, are we? Because we've got plenty to eat. But nonetheless, we are seeing things that we perhaps never expected to see. And the Lord taught us that therefore we were not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day and for its own trouble. The Lord said in Matthew 6 and verse 34. What we do discover in 1 Kings chapter 17 is the necessity to appreciate and to learn that our daily needs are met by the Lord. So often we have made our plans, we have thought weeks, months, years ahead perhaps, and now all of a sudden this year we've suddenly had to stop and we've had to acknowledge that we are totally dependent upon the Lord for our daily needs. And we need to need to look to him, not just for our physical needs that we might have food, and uh, but we also might be fed spiritually through his word. The Lord reminds us, doesn't he, that we, um, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. How important that it is that we read the scriptures daily, that we might be fed and sustained and supported by the Lord, not only physically, but also spiritually, that we might be fed through reading his word. Elijah is a man who first appears on the page of scripture here in 1 Kings and chapter 17 and verse 1. This is the first we read of him. I light up a little bit. This is the first we read of him 
And uh, the scripture has a great deal to say about Elijah, and it's almost a study in itself. He appears again at the very end of the Old Testament. He appears in the New Testament. He is uh, appears with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He is uh, spoken of uh, at the cross. Many thought that the Lord himself was Elijah. And, uh, and, and I'll leave you to, uh, to consider the, the many different um, aspects and quotations uh, of the appearance of Elijah throughout the scriptures. He is a very prominent and a very important uh, prophet. But we just want to, to center our thoughts really this evening on 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah the Tishbite suddenly appears on the scene for a purpose that he might go to speak to King Ahab. And the first thing I'm reminded when we see Elijah and the spirit and, and in the way that he went to Ahab was this. Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32 that the people that do know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. Elijah was to go to speak to the king. He was to be very bold. He was to give him an instruction that there was to be no rain according to his word for the space of the next three and a half years. And he was going to do that with boldness and he was going to be able to stand before Ahab unafraid. Why? Because he knew his God. Elijah was strong because he knew his God and he did tremendous exploits. But if you was to read into chapter 18 and discover the, the, the rest of the life of Elijah, you would discover, as James reminds us, that Elijah was a man of like passions like you and I. In other words, he was a man. He wasn't a superhuman hero. He was a prophet of the Lord, but he was a man that had failings and weaknesses and uh, emotions just as we do. He was susceptible to all of them. But what it means here is that when he was strengthened by the Lord and he was strong because he knew the one before whom he stood, he was able in the strength of the Lord to do exploits. And the strength of his exploits was in knowing God and in his prayer life. James reminds us that he was a man who fervently prayed. The prayer of a righteous man, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much you know it's a wondrous thing indeed isn't it the privilege that we have to pray and it's something that we're uh, not able to do together at the moment to be able to gather together as a company of the lord's people in prayer we look forward to the day that we can but we can pray individually we can pray for one another we can pray for the work and we can earnestly seek the lord's help and guidance and blessing upon uh, the day in which we live that the gospel might go forth and many might respond to him. And Elijah did that. He prayed. He prayed for the nation. He prayed for the king. He prayed for the people because of what was happening in the land. Elijah was, uh, it tells us he was the Tishbite. That was where he came from, uh, where he was born. And he went to the king Ahab and he was to say to him, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, of course, when we first look at these words, we're very familiar with them, aren't we? We sing the story with the children as we thought about the raven's wings went flap, flap, flap and down to the river they flew. 
we know the essence of the story but it's we want to this evening just to look into what was really taking place here in the land why did elijah go to ahab why did he say the things that he did and uh, and what was happening behind the scene you know there's a wonderful parallel between our present day and what was happening in 1 kings chapter 17. As we mentioned, it could indeed be said of the nation, this was a time of national emergency. There was a drought for three and a half years. Because there was no rain, the, the crops were not growing. It was producing a severe famine. So for the, the, the Israelites, these were not normal days. They were difficult days. We find ourselves in difficult days, perhaps challenging days, not normal days. But, you know, I love the verses that Matt brought to us on Sunday, and I've often thought about those myself. When Matt brought before us the, the words of, from Job to consider the limitlessness of God, that God has measured everything, that God knows everything, that there is no limit with God. Because what we discover when we come to 1 Kings chapter 17 is in these days of national emergency, we learn something of the sovereignty of God. In 1 Kings 17, we discover that there are two sides to the coin. We see God's sovereignty and we see man's responsibility. And it is encouraging. What we mean by that, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we mean that everything that was happening here in 1 Kings chapter 17 was according to the purpose and to the counsel of God. When we think about the Lord Jesus upon the cross, all that happened to him, the world in their unbelief would say, what a terrible end to a good man. All the awful things that happened. But the Acts, the apostle reminds us uh, when, when Luke revealed to uh, Theophilus of all the things that had happened, he reminds us as Peter would preach that all the things that they did to the Lord Jesus was according to the sovereignty of God, according to his determinate will and purpose and counsel. In other words, everything they did was what God had foreplanned, what God had uh, was going to allow to happen. They could do no more. They could do no less. But they were responsible for all that they did. And that's encouraging to know for the days in which we live, that whatever happened, whatever befalls our country or the world, as we look at the, at the news, God is sovereign. God will have his purpose. And whatever is happening in the world now, we can be sure is happening for a purpose. The Lord promised us, as the angels said, when the Lord ascended to heaven, he will so come and his feet will stand again upon the Mount of Olives. One day the Lord is coming back and all the events that are taking place in our own day as to that which is to come is leading up to the time when the Lord Jesus will come again and will stand upon the Mount of Olives and will rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Jerusalem, in Israel. So what happens today is according to the sovereignty of God. God is allowing it. We cannot say why things are happening what we can say is that god is allowing it as difficult as it is that we can't gather as we would like the lord is allowing it for a purpose because he is sovereign and nothing is outside 
of his control. So what was happening in 1 Kings chapter 17? Why did Elijah go to speak to the king? Well, we would discover in 2 Chronicles and chapter 24 and verse 19 this. In the days of Joash, there was apostasy. The people of God, as they so often were, were turning away from God and they were worshipping idols. They were turning from the living God and they were worshipping idols. And what we discover there in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 19 is that we discover that the Lord sent prophets to them for the purpose that he that they might bring them back to God, that is the Israelites, the Lord's people, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. There was many prophets that God sent to his people when they were wayward, when they were disobedient, when they had forsaken the living God and were worshipping idols. God sent prophets to them that, that they might speak against the people and against their sin for the purpose of that they might repent and come back to the Lord. Elijah was one such prophet. He went to King Ahab and he showed him up for the sin uh, in, in, uh, of Ahab. John the Baptist was another, you remember. He was a prophet that was sent uh, to foreshadow the, 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 the coming of the Lord, but he spoke against Herod and he spoke against his sin in, in what he was doing. And uh, that was why he was put in prison. And that ultimately was why he lost his life. As a prophet of God, he stood up and he spoke the word that God had given him. And Elijah here now, as a man of God, the widow woman of Zarephath had to acknowledge at the end that he indeed is a man of God. A man of God in the Old Testament was simply a man that had a message, who had a message from God. And that's what we should be. The Apostle Paul, you remember, spoke to Timothy, saying that he should be a man of God, thoroughly approved through the study of the scriptures. That's what we do when we preach the gospel. We're not free to preach the gospel openly, as we perhaps would like to. But when we do preach the gospel, the preacher is one who is presenting the word of God. And when those who are listening to the gospel, they reject or they believe not the preacher, but the words that he declared. And so when the scriptures tells us that to those who perish, the cross is foolishness, it is not the preacher they're rejecting. It is the word of God. When we preach the gospel, we are declaring the word of God. It's not our word. We're not asking people to believe us, but we are declaring the truth of the word of God. That's why the scripture says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's essential that our preaching is centered on the word of God because that is the only foundation for faith. And Elijah was sent here to Ahab with the word of the Lord. He said in verse 1 to Ahab, there will not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Well, we might think that perhaps on the outward appearance, that was a very bold statement, almost a very arrogant statement to go to the king and say it's not going to rain according to his word. But of course, in the context, what we need to appreciate this, it was not 
Elijah's word. He was a man of God. He was the one whom God had sent with a message. And so when Ahab listened to the word of Elijah, he was to acknowledge and to believe what Elijah said was the word of God and to believe it and to respond accordingly. Because what sort of man was Ahab? Well, we read at the beginning, didn't we, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, he was the worst of kings. Lloyd went through last week when we were thinking of the genealogies in uh, Chronicles and in Matthew, he referred to many of the kings of Israel that were good kings and many that were bad kings. Well, here you've got the worst king. It tells us here that he was the worst. Uh, he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all those that were before him that we read, all that were before him. One of the, the, the worst things that he had done was in, in marriage. It was a divided kingdom. Israel was divided. You know, there was the 12 tribes. And of course, we referred to that. Lord referred to that recently. The kingdom was divided from the northern kingdom and from and from the, and from Judah. And uh, they, they, they were divided. They, they were not together. And uh, they were also away from the Lord. Ahab was leading astray the people of God instead of being an example to them. He was also uh, wayward in as much that he had married one uh, Jezebel, who was not an Israelite, who he shouldn't have married. Furthermore, she was one who worshipped the prophet Baal. And in so marrying her, Ahab led astray the people of God that they would also worship idols. This is one thing really in our own modern land that's very prevalent. It was always to the Israelites something that uh, was a stumbling block to them. They turned away in unbelief from the living God to worship idols. You remember that they, uh, they, re they, they bowed the knee before the, um, the serpent in the wilderness and uh, those that were bitten by serpents were healed. But we discover later in the scriptures that they turned that serpent into an idol and they created one and they worshipped it. And Israel, in Israel, rather than having a God that they believed in by faith, they wanted something that they could see. They wanted something tangible. They made themselves gold idols, gold images, silver images created out of wood. And they bowed the knee and they worshipped them rather than sink the living God. And it's something our own modern day is completely taken up with. Idols, things that are totally contrary to the living God. And of course, the world will openly speak of idols. They'll talk about their pop idols and their football idols. People that they literally idolize, that they give their time and their attention to. They, they, they follow them. They devote themselves to them. They want to know what they say, what they think. But, you know, anything can become an idol even to us as the people of God. I heard a, a, a very clear definition recently of what an idol is. What is an idol? It's something that we hold dear that we could not afford to lose. If there is a person, a thing, it could be property, it could be an object, things that we hold that become more precious to us than the things of God can become a snare and an idol to us. 
And for Israel, they were snared by turning aside and worshipping idols. Baal, the scriptures doesn't teach us, but if you look into the, into the history of, of Baal, Baal was considered by the Israelites and the Canaanite, the, the God of the Canaanites, falsely as the God of fertility. He was the God who, uh, as far as they were concerned, often was referred to as a rider of the clouds. He was described in their imagery as one who rode the storms and the thunder and the lightning and the hail. He was the God of fertility who brought life to plants who gave life, and he was the God of the dew and of the rain. And so that was the significance in verse 1 when Elijah said to Ahab, there will not be dew or rain these years except at my word. Because it was Baal who was considered to be the God of the dew and the rain two forms of moisture that are necessary for crops to grow to produce food you see elijah had been praying about this matter he was so concerned that the that the nation was sinful that they were idolatrous that they had turned aside from serving the lord and he was praying that god would act and bring about judgment upon the people for a purpose that they might repent and be brought back to God. And so if we'd have read from Deuteronomy, we would discover in Deuteronomy in chapter 11 and verse 16, Moses had written, take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there is no rain and the, the land yield no produce. Elijah knew the word of the Lord and he prayed earnestly that God indeed might shut up the heavens, that there would be no rain, that God would act in judgment as he had promised upon his people for a purpose, that they might repent from their sin and turn back to the living God. Because that was the one who Elijah stood before. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Elijah stood before the living God. That was the one who he stood before in contrast to Baal, who was a false god. And so the judgment of God in withholding rain was not only a judgment against the people of God and the land, it was ultimately a judgment against Baal himself to prove and to show to the people that Baal was nothing and that God was God and that he was limitless and he was sovereign and he is the one who is the God of the dew and the rain and the one who gives life and the one who can sustain life. That was what happened in Egypt, you remember. When God brought the plagues upon the Egyptians, it wasn't a judgment on the Egyptians. It was a judgment on the gods of the Egyptians. They had a god of the, 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 of the sun, Ra. And so God brought darkness and their god of Ra could not overcome the darkness. And all the other plagues, if you go through them, they were against the gods of Egypt. And God showed his wonders to Pharaoh 
and to the, the people against their idols and showed them that their gods were nothing and he is sovereign and he is the living God. And so Elijah went to Ahab in the power of the living God, according to the word of God. He had prayed about the matter. But what we do discover here is that Elijah did not do anything unless God had commanded him. He had prayed about this matter, but he was in the command of God. The Lord commands us that we should be his witnesses, that we should speak to him. The, God, the Lord gives us many instructions in his word. And as the people of God, we should willingly seek to obey them, not because they are constrained upon us, but because we love him. This is an evidence of discipleship. The Lord says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We will lovingly want to follow the Lord and to keep his word, not because we have to, not because we're fearful, but because we love him. And if we love the Lord, we will want to obey him. And his word uh, exhorts us and shows us how the Lord would have us live. Well, Elijah had received a direct word from the Lord to go to Ahab and he went to speak. And the Lord also had given uh, warning to his people through the prophets. He says that if a prophet speaks and uh, he, he, he says something in the Lord's name and it doesn't come to pass, he said he's spoken presumptuously. You shouldn't fear him and shouldn't listen to him. In fact, the prophets were to be put to death if they spoke presumptuously in the Lord's name. And that was why at the end of chapter 18, we discover that when the, uh, the, uh, the challenge was made on Mount Carmel in relation to the prophets of Baal, at the end, all the prophets of Baal were executed because they did not speak in the Lord's name and they were speaking for idols and therefore the law was kept and they lost their lives. And so we should be careful too what we say. There are many I've heard that, that will say, oh, the Lord's told me to do this or that. We must be careful that what we say is truly according to the word of the Lord or else we speak presumptuously. Well, Elijah went to Ahab with the word of the Lord and he said, it's not going to rain according to my word. Well, of course, Elijah had no such power to enact any such thing. But he was a prophet of the Lord. The Lord had sent him, the living God before whom he spoke. He was only the messenger and he passed on the message from God that God was going to withhold the dew and the rain until they repented and turned back to, to God. And it was according to the word of the Lord, the, uh, the word of Elijah, according to the word of the Lord. And so having given the uh, pronouncement to Elijah, we discover this, that the Lord, the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, which is by Jordan. Only twice in the scriptures do we read of the brook Cherith, and it's here in verses uh, three and five of one um, Kings chapter 17. So Elijah had to go according to the word of the Lord. He went to the brook and the Lord sustained him. God was sovereign. His word had been spoken. He was going to withhold the rain. And now he had commanded the ravens, an unclean bird, a bird that themselves were scavengers that would eat meat. God overturns the natural um, 
instincts of the birds and they bring meat to Elijah. You know, the world would uh, loves to think of big and spectacular things. And we were reminded on Sunday, weren't we, how that God is limitless. His power is limitless. You know, we sometimes stand in awe. And, and I think as, as Matt was trying to explain to us really on Sunday, sometimes we, we limit God because our own understanding cannot comprehend all that God can do. You know, we stand in awe sometimes of the nations even. We think of how great our own nation is. And then we think of America. They love to talk about themselves as superpowers, the might and the wealth of China and Russia. But you know, Job tells us this, that the nations are as a drop in the bucket to God. In other words, however great and mighty we might think the nations are, they are insignificant to God. His power, his knowledge is limitless and he is over them all. And his control and his power is infinite. And here God is sovereign. He is not only going to withhold the dew and the rain against Baal, but he is going to command the ravens and they are going to sustain Elijah in the morning and in the evening daily. We were reminded of that at the beginning, weren't we? The Lord sustains us daily. We need to look to him now in the days in which we live for our daily needs. We can't plan a month ahead. We can't plan for next year. We can't plan for a few months ahead. We, we don't know what's going to happen, what the government is going to tell us to do. We should be now living in the way that we should always perhaps have lived, in dependence upon the Lord, in prayer, in faith, acknowledging that we need to look to him for our daily needs, whether that be through food, whether it be through employment, whether it be through the provisions of our needs. It's the Lord that knows our needs and he will meet our needs according to his sovereign will. But what we also discover here is that uh, as the Lord sustained Elijah physically, he will also sustain us spiritually if we feed upon his word well now we would discover well there almost seems to be a problem doesn't there because Elijah did what the Lord told him to do he went to the brook he drank the ravens brought him but now the brook dried up because of the famine there was a drought the rains had failed and now the water had gone away well if he was doing the will of the Lord why did this happen you know God is sovereign in his purposes and sometimes even as the people of God, we can go through difficulties and uh, we can find challenges, perhaps in ways that we're finding now that we never thought we'd experience. But the Lord will give us help and he has a purpose in the difficulties that we face. We need to uh, acknowledge his sovereign will and to walk before him in faith because God had a purpose. His work with the nation was not finished. He told Elijah that he was to go to Zarephath. And if you look on a map, Zarephath is on the uh, on the northern part of, of the coast of, of Israel, uh, up on the, on the Mediterranean coast, just a little bit down from Zidon. And uh, in this little village on the coast of the Mediterranean, there was a widow woman, and God had commanded her to feed him. This is where we see both sides of the coin again. God is sovereign. God had commanded the widow woman 
But Elijah went to her when he went to Zarephath and he asked for a meal. He asked and she had a responsibility to respond to him in faith to provide that. But God had already commanded it. He knew what would happen. You see, that we, we, there's the two sides of the coin that we cannot possibly begin to comprehend. God has a purpose. He knows what's going to happen. He has planned it out. But our actions, what we do, whether it be good or bad, we are responsible for our actions. And this widow woman here responded in faith when Elijah, as a man of God, asked her to make him a meal first. She only had enough food for, for one more meal for her and her son. And Elijah promised that if he if she gave the food to him first, that God, the Lord God of heaven who liveth, will provide for her and her son all the days of the famine. It was a test of her faith. God had a plan. He knew what he would do, but her faith was tested. She was not an Israelite. She was a Gentile. In fact, this very area was a stronghold of Baal. Isn't it ironic, isn't it? Well, not ironic. It's, it's wonderful to see how God works. He sustained Elijah in the very home counties, almost, where Baal worship was its strongest. Wasn't that the case with Moses? Pharaoh wanted to kill him. Of all the Israelites, it was the deliverer he wanted to kill more than anything else. And that was Moses. And in the end? He ended up bringing him up and paying for his upkeep in his own house. See how God was sovereign? He overruled his plan and purpose. Pharaoh wanted him dead, but he paid for his upkeep and he sheltered him and he protected him in his own home. How wonderful is God in his sovereign power and purpose and will. And God here sustains Elijah in Baal's stronghold. And we see here the faith. We haven't got time to go into all the details. Time is slipping away. But we see here that this woman uh, provides for Elijah and put him first. He put She put him first as a man of God. Of course, we see another clear principle here, don't we? As the Lord said on the Sermon on the Mount, sink ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things that we worry about, the Lord will give and add to us. He knows our needs. But we need to put him first. We need to serve the Lord. We need to worship him. We need to put him first in our lives, in the decisions that we make. And then the Lord will meet our needs. And that's what this woman did. She put the Lord first. She obeyed the word of the Lord. And then, having done that, the Lord sustained her and her son all the days of the famine. Well. Time won't permit to go into all the details, but just finally, just to give a thought at what happened at the end. We, we see here that the little jar that she had of, of oil and, and flour never ran out. The Lord had performed a miracle. He had acted against the natural laws that he himself had created. He had commanded the ravens to feed Elijah. He had commanded the widow woman to sustain him, and that he did. But having done all of that, her son died. And uh, she accused Elijah. He said, have you come to cause my, to me to be remembrance of my sin? You know, of course, she acknowledged that this was perhaps a judgment upon her. 
as the drought was. The drought was a judgment of God against the nation because of their idolatry. But not every sin was a result of personal sin. They said that to the Lord, didn't they, in John 9. Who did sin, they said, when they saw the blind man? Was it him or his parents? And the Lord reminded them that it wasn't their personal sin that this man was blind, but it was for the glory of God. And so this son of this widow woman had died. He became ill and he died. But God had a purpose in it. God was sovereign. He is the living God. Baal was seen to be the God of fertility, the God who would give life through the rain. But he was powerless. There'd been a drought for three and a half years. He had not brought forth the dew or the rain. He had been proved indeed to be an idol. And here now is the final proof that God is bringing upon the nation and for this woman, widow woman to appreciate. Elijah took the widow's dead son up to the room where he was lodging and he was going to pray that the Lord might bring him back to life again. This had never happened before. Never in the scriptures, in the history of mankind, had anyone ever been raised again from the dead. Abraham, you remember, believed that God could do it when he went to offer up Isaac. He offered him up believing that God would have to raise him from the dead to fulfill his promise in Isaac being the promised heir. But he didn't have to. God withheld his hand. So at this point, Elijah had never seen anyone being raised again from the dead. But he knew that God could. And all that he did was according to the command and to the will and purpose of God. He took this young child up and he, he, he laid him out and he prayed for him. And we discovered that God brought him back to life again. And he brought the son back and gave him to the widow woman. And she re received him back. And what did that do? What did Elijah, what did the woman uh, then acknowledge when she received him back? It did this. It demonstrated and it proved that the that Elijah truly was a prophet of the living God. It brought glory to God in the same way that when we think of the cross, all the the, the, the terrible things that happened that, that when man showed their hatred to him. And yet it was through the cross that the Lord Jesus glorified his father. It was through the cross that you and I are saved as the people of God. So when the Lord brought this widow woman son back to life again, it brought glory to God. It proved that he indeed is the God of the living compared to Baal who was false. He was not the God of futility, uh, uh, futility. He was not able to give life. He was not able to make it rain. Only the living God before uh, the one before whom Elijah stood. So it vindicated Elijah as the man of God because it wasn't his word. It wasn't his power. He was the man of God. He was the messenger of God. All that he did was according to the word of God and God demonstrated his power. And the widow woman acknowledged that. She says, now I know that you are a man of God. And it proved that the word that he spoke 
really was and is the word of God. And that, of course, is brought about in the work of the gospel, as we thought earlier, that when a person, when a preacher preaches the word of God, when a person is saved, it's because they receive the word of God and they believe the word of God as the word of God and they believe God. Well, there's many more things that we could say, but time uh, has uh, escaped us for this evening. But uh, in days of national emergency for the nation of Israel, how wonderful to see that God was sovereign. The crisis had come upon uh, the nation because of their sin. God in his judgment had withheld the rain because they had turned, as he had promised he would, withhold the rain and the dew if they turned from him and worshipped idols. It vindicated Elijah as the man of God, as the man who spoke the word of God, that proved that he truly did stand before the living God. So though the woman, the widow woman, had to see her son die, God was glorified in the way that he raised him from the dead and proved that he indeed truly is the God of the living. Wasn't that what Peter said when the Lord said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, the one in whom we have believed indeed is the Lord Jesus, the one who is the ever living one, the one who was dead, but now we praise God is alive and alive for evermore. Well, I'll leave you to continue the reading of Elijah. It makes very interesting and profitable reading to continue the study concerning his life. Shall we just commit ourselves in prayer?